today. Um, I hope you're having a great weekend. Hey, I want to say just a special uh, welcome to you. If you're a guest here with us today or if you're watching online today, welcome. It's uh, great to have you uh, with us. And then just want to say to the guys down in Mod 7 at our Correctional Center campus, uh, we are so glad that you've joined us today. And uh, let's just actually, let's just welcome everybody here with us today. Yeah, it's a great morning. Well, I want to just take a minute and tell you about all the things that are going to be happening around here in the next several weeks. It's an exciting time in the life of our church. In just four weeks, four weeks from today, uh, we are going to have our first Sunday morning service at our Elkhorn campus. And so we, yeah, we are super excited about that. And, you know, God has us on just an exciting journey and we can't wait to see uh, us being able to reach a new part of our city, and our mission as a church is we want to help as many people as possible to find and follow Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. That's what we feel called to. And so for us to have this opportunity in Elkhorn, it's just an absolute uh, privilege. I want to tell you, we're going to have an open house um, at our Elkhorn campus, and that's going to be on October 27th. And we want to get everybody into that facility just to be able to see it and to walk through it, because so many of you have not only prayed hard for it, but so many of you have given generously towards it as well. And so we want you to see that renovated facility and, um, and just everything that will be taking place there. So you'll hear more information about that. We're also going to launch a new series on November 3rd. Really excited about this. It's going to be called Be Remarkable. And we're going to talk about five values to define your life. Five things that if you got to the end of your days and these five things were things that you valued, you'd actually look back on your life and you'd say, wow, I, I lived well. I, I gave myself to things that were, that were very important, things that are really high calling. And what we're going to see when we, when we go through this series called Be Remarkable, and, and by the way, if, if someone says to you, about you or about a thing even, if they say, wow, that's remarkable, I mean, that's a top shelf compliment. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to say, what are five things that would be the things that would make us remarkable as a church? Five things that would make you remarkable as a, a person if you really, truly valued them. So can't wait to dive into that series with you. And, and I just want to encourage you. Uh, we're going to be the next three weeks continuing on in our series through the book of Ephesians. Great opportunities to invite a friend. And then particularly once we get into that Be Remarkable series, I would encourage you, everybody, be asking that question again and again and again. Who's my one today, Lord? Uh, maybe who's the person that, Lord, you didn't put them in my life on accident, but for a very intentional reason. And, and Lord, I could invite them in. And maybe you'd be, you would be the one, Lord, that you would touch their life in such a significant way. Um, Lord, if I could be a part of that, Lord, who's my one today? So keep, keep, keep asking that question as we particularly go into these next several exciting weeks. Well, hey, right now what I'd like to do is just to pray for us, and let's just ask God to now speak uh, to us through his word. There was a, a verse that really stuck out to me this week in, in Isaiah chapter 33. That's one of the places that we, <clears throat> where we got to in our 365 reading, which is just kind of our way of trekking through the scripture together as a church individually. Um, so we got to this verse, and I just want to read this overview, and I really want this to set the tone for where we're going this morning, and just kind of the posture of our hearts even as we approach God's word. Uh, it says this in Isaiah 33, verse 2. It's a prayer, and it says, Lord, be gracious to us. And then this short statement here, we long for you. In other words, Lord, we've got to have you come through. Lord, we long for you. And so would you pray with me now, and let's just pray with that kind of a spirit Lord, would you be gracious to us? Lord, we long for you. Lord, we've got to have you. So pray with me. Lord, we come to you now. And Father, we may come with having had a great week or 
maybe actually we come into this morning and we've had a really tough one. But Lord, I thank you for the fact that not only do you know us, but you know our circumstances, you know our situations, and Father, you care deeply for them. And Lord, what's also true is that you long to speak to us, you long to teach us. Think of even Isaiah 48, you, Lord, you teach us what is best for us. And then, Lord, you direct us in the ways in which we should go. And, Lord, that's our prayer this morning. God, we lay ourselves before you. We say we long for you. God, teach us. God, would you direct us now in the ways in which we should go. So we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today in our series through the New Testament book of Ephesians, today we come to Ephesians chapter 5. And before we dive into that text, though, I think it's important for us to continue to remember really the flow and the projection of this, in, in the, in, of this book, how it progresses, how does it flow, what, or what, what's the progression of thought even as we go through this book. The first half of this book, if you remember, it really informs us. It really informs in so many ways as we go now into the latter chapters of the book. Okay, in light of all of this, what do I do? It informs our actions. You could think of it this way, just really big picture. If you were to look at these six chapters, the first half of this book that the Apostle Paul, uh, remember, he's writing to this young church in the city of Ephesus. Remember, the city of Ephesus is a booming city. And so there's lots of things going on. There's a whole lot of distractions that these people are facing. But the Apostle Paul, out of his love for these people, he's, he's writing to them. And in chapters 1 through 3, he reminds them again and again and again of the gospel. He wants them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. He wants them to know this is who you are. And then after that, when we get to the second half of the book, it really poses the question for us. Okay, in light of all that's true, chapters 1 through 3, now, Lord, what do you want me to do about it? In light of everything that's true, now what should I do? How then should this inform my life? If you read chapters 1 through 3, you walk away from just those chapters and you go, God, I'm so grateful to you. God, I can't believe that you would allow me to be identified with the things that I'm identified with in you. God, I can't believe that, well, Lord, I was once far from you, and I didn't have to actually earn my way to you, but Lord, you reached out to me in your grace, and you pulled me out of my sin and my life, and, and Lord, now I can be new in you, and, and there's an old self, and there's a new self, and there's all of this stuff that marks my identity. The Apostle Paul, he actually gets to the end of chapter 3, and he prays this prayer. It says that he's down on his knees, and he says he's kneeling before the Father, and he's praying this prayer, and he's saying, Lord, I pray that they would be able to grasp how deep and how wide and how long, and all of these different adjectives that he uses to describe the love of God. And then he says, you know what? The love of God is actually, it's just too great. You can't even understand it. And so then from there, as that as the build, we get to chapter 4, and it's as though we say now, okay, in light of God's great love for us, what do we do? Boots on the ground now. The Apostle Paul now calls us. I think he challenges us. He encourages us. He says, okay, now how do you live the life worthy to the place by which you've been called? What does that look like? Today our topic is going to be the topic of marriage from Ephesians chapter 5. And, and we meet this topic, honestly, <clears throat> from a lot of different places. Yet I believe that there's one principle that you're going to be able to pull away from this. I think there's three words that are really hopefully going to stand out to you very clearly that you're going to be able to apply not only to a marriage relationship, but you'll be able, no matter how you come to this text, you'll be able to apply them to any relationship. Maybe you're here today and you're single, or maybe you're dating, and you long to be married. 
I mean, that's just something that God's, you feel like he's put in your heart and, and, and you just long to be married. I think today you're going to be able to walk away from Ephesians 5 and you're going to be able to go, okay, that was helpful for me to understand. How will I know? How will I be able to identify the person that might be for me in this bond, in this thing called marriage that God created? Or maybe you're here today and you're single and you honestly really sense that God has actually called you to singleness. And I want to say this because I don't think we say it often enough. If that's the call that God has on your life, know this, that is a noble calling, a noble calling. Or maybe you're here today and you would say this, when you think of this topic of marriage, it actually brings up a whole lot of pain in your life because you've gone through a divorce and maybe you're still feeling the pain of that and you're actually on the the path to healing after that. And then there's those of you here this morning that maybe you'd say you're in this place, You're married, and if you're married, I think you actually fall then into one of two groups, very likely, that you would describe the season of your marriage in one of two ways. Either on the one hand, you would say, it's flourishing, and you thank God for that. I mean, it's going really well. You'd say you're unified, and and you're supporting each other, and, and, and not all of your days are perfect, but boy, a lot of them are going really well, and you'd say, you know what? This season, by God's grace, and honestly, likely a whole lot of intentionality on your part as well, you would say, wow, we're in a place right now where we're thriving. Or for others of you, though, maybe this, this, I think this is the other camp that's likely here this morning, and it's this. You would say, we're struggling. And I'll be honest with you, you have really been on my heart this week. Because there's nothing worse than when you're struggling in your marriage because it really clouds everything. It casts a shadow on every other relationship. It impacts you at home. It impacts you at work. It can impact your finance. It can impact everything. The good news, and you're going to see this this morning, thank goodness, that is not the place where God longs for you to stay. And I'm praying for you this morning that you'll have a breakthrough moment straight from God. I did a wedding last weekend for this neat couple, young couple, Zach and Lauren from our small group, and, and it, was this, it was at this beautiful little church in Iowa. It was a really neat place, and, and so, you know, you take gravel roads to get clear out to this place. And then, you know, you take a right onto this long lane that leads finally to this wedding venue. And, and it, was, it was just beautiful. I mean, it was like this perfectly mowed grass on both sides of this gravel winding road. And, and then from there, it was just tall cornfields as far as the eye could see. And so finally, you get to this barn that's been restored where the reception was. I mean, it was just beautiful. And then you walked on this long wooden path to the point where you finally get to this glass chapel right out in the midst of this, kind of low in this valley, again, just surrounded by these hills. And it was just beautiful, right out in the middle of these fields. Beautiful. I loved it. And it was a really fun wedding. And this was the moment, though, that I really loved about the wedding, because when the chapel doors opened in the back, you know this moment? And all of the, the whole, everyone there put their eyes on the bride. They all looked at Lauren and she looks so beautiful and Lauren begins to walk forward and, and Moe, everybody's just in the back. As the pastor, you then get the best view of something that I like to look at every single time. I love to look at the groom in that moment. And I try not to make a big deal of it, but I just like look over because the expression oftentimes on the groom's face, and it was true of Zach, he was just filled, you could tell, with this sense of overwhelming joy, absolute joy. And so then we get into their wedding, and we're a ways in, and we get to their vows. And in the midst of the vows, Zach says some of these words. He says, I promise to be your faithful husband, to have and to hold. And then here it is. This was the line that just really stuck out to me. 
And I think this applies to where we're going today. I promise to be your faithful husband to have and to hold, and here it is. From this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, for as long as we both shall live. And then he says, with all of my heart, I commit this vow to you. And the line that really stuck out to me, though, is this. From this day forward. Now, I don't even think at a wedding you need to say this day. Because that day, let's just be honest, that day is easy. It's expensive, though. I will say that, right? (laughs) But do you know what the steep climb is oftentimes? It's not this day. It's from this day forward. Because then what's after forward? For as long as we both shall live. That's where I think we need some help. That's the steeper climb if we're really honest. You know, I was telling our 11-year-old daughter, Ashlyn, on the way home last Sunday, I said, next week, and I'm speaking on marriage, to which she took a minute, too long, actually. And then she replied, she said, you know, you and mom have a healthy marriage. And then she waited a little bit longer, and she said, but I, I do remember that one season. She goes, it was so depressing. And then just this past week, just as you can imagine, it would happen on the week we teach on the topic of marriage. Do you think the darts had an easy, blissful, wedding-like week at our house? Oh, no, no, no. So that same daughter of ours sensing the tension while I was putting her to bed on Tuesday night, she said to me, so how's that message on marriage coming along? And I, I, I said to her, not well, why do you ask? With a little attitude. And, and then she said to me, she said, you know, Dad, at least you can relate to people's struggles. Because then she said, because you have to be able to relate in order to teach. And after she said that, she said, that's pretty good. Yeah. And, and I said, thank you. Thank you for the encouragement, dear, right? But let, here's, the reason I share that story is this. We're not going to sugarcoat it this morning. It doesn't do any good. Let's just acknowledge it. Marriage is hard. If you're not married and you, God's called you to singleness, you need to pray for the marriages in this church. You need to pray diligently for them. If you long to be married, you need to take very seriously, I think, God's word as it pertains to marriage because you're about to jump into a journey that's not always going to be rosy. And so what do we do? Open up your Bibles this morning. And, and let me just say this on the front end. God created marriage as a gift. It's a beautiful thing. It was God's idea, Genesis chapter 2. And all, also know this, marriage was created for great purpose. And I, here's the thing, I, and I, you know this to be true. If we were to, to take all of the books that are out there on marriage, there are so many and they're filled with so much good stuff, many of them. We could fill rooms. But I think what we're going to see from God's word today, particularly three words that I hope that you'll walk away with deeply in your heart this morning, I think they're by far the most helpful. Notice this, it says this in chapter 5, our first verse, verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now let's just tackle that first word, submit. And let me just warn you this morning that this text does not earn any awards for being politically correct, nor does it seek to. And I think you'll understand why. Let's talk about that term, submit. Think of a sport like MAA, mixed martial arts. Submission is a term. You know how it's used? You know why it's used in that sport? It's used because when you submit in that sport, what you're saying is, I yield to the other opponent. It results in immediate defeat. Immediate defeat. 
If a referee um, senses or sees that an opponent is tapping out, that means that they've submitted. Look at this picture. This is what it looks like. So if, if someone is in, a, in an MMA uh, match and they, they hit the floor with their hand or even with their foot, that's considered tapping out. And what they're saying in that moment is this, I'm defeated. I'm defeated. Please stop the match. Look at the guy on the left. If he doesn't tap out soon, he's going to get his right arm broken. I tap out. You know what this is called? Submission by force. Everyone, this is not what the Apostle Paul is talking about in this passage. It couldn't be further from the truth, actually. Know this. First of all, submission, it's voluntary. When you see that in your Bible, the word submit, it's voluntary. It refers to, okay, I make a willing choice. It's not forced. It's not demanded. No, no, no. I choose to yield myself to you. I think a better illustration is this. It's like when you come up to a four-way stop. You know this? You come up to a four-way stop, but what do you do if you get there at the same time another car does? What do you do if you get there at the same time two other cars do, or even three? You all just kind of come right about the same time. What has to happen? Someone has to yield. Someone has to say, you before me. Someone has to say, you know what? You go ahead. You go ahead. And the more cars that are there, the more times you have to say, it, you before me. Notice this as well, though. Not only is it voluntary, but it also, the Apostle Paul talks about submission in this way. As the text develops, you're going to continue to see this. He says, submit to, here it is, one another. So it is a mutual submission. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, whether you're married or not, please hear this. If you apply this principle to your life, your relationships will flourish. It will be so helpful to you. Because in a good relationship, people actively look for ways to yield to the other person. They, they look for ways. Hey, how can I serve you? You before me. You, you're important to me. I, I see you. I remembered you had a need. Uh, I remember you had a hope and a dream. Uh, you, 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 you yield. You say, okay, how can I come underneath you? How can I lift you up? I heard it said this way. A great relationship is a submission competition. That's pretty good, isn't it? It's when two people, they just constantly try. How do I yield to you? And it, so it's not the sense, hey, he owes me. Oh, she better. No, it's not that. It actually flips that right on its head. And instead, it says this, I want, I choose to put you before me. Submission, two things. It's voluntary and it's mutual both ways. Now, the next part in the text here, I think this is really the deal maker. This is the deal maker. If, if this takes place in your relationship, this takes place in your marriage, the path to flourishing is ahead. It says, submit to one another, notice this, out of reverence for Christ. If tomorrow morning somebody pulls you aside and they say, hey, what did the pastor talk about on Sunday? What did God's word have for you yesterday? I hope that you will say these three words, reverence for Christ. It's, I think, the most important thing that you could pull away today, particularly if you're going, okay, how do we have a, a flourishing marriage? Not how do we just get by and survive and, and get it done until the kids leave. No, no, no. How do we flourish? How do we flourish? Reverence for Christ. What does that mean? To revere means this. It means to go, whoa. Say that with me. One, two, three. Whoa. Yeah, it's like you, whoa, Christ. I revere you. Lord, I... 
Whoa, it's a big deal. Lord, I stand in awe of you. If that's present in the life of two people in a marriage, you're on the path to flourishing. If you get this part, I think the rest of it makes sense. And that's honestly, it's why we're going so slow through this first verse. Submit to one another, it says, out of reverence for Christ. Notice that it's submit out of. It's submit because of your reverence to Christ, which I think then begs a very logical question. Why should I revere Christ? Why should I revere him? And I think what we have to do is, again, we got to open up our Bible and we say, got to say, okay, Apostle Paul, where have we been? Let's look at chapters 1 through 3 because he gives us all of these reasons. Why should we revere Christ? And so much of that, I think, rests in our identity in Christ. So what did we learn in the text? We learned, okay, wow, I'm forgiven. I mean, think about that. You do not have to give an account for the sin in your life one day when you stand before a holy God. Wow. That's enough alone. But it's better than that. It says in the text also that, that God chose you. Like he chose you. I mean, you, you choose those that you love. It says this in the text, that if you're in Christ, you've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Jeff, what exactly does that mean? We don't even know. Can't even get our brain around it all. Okay, keep going. Uh, you, we learned that you are adopted as a son or daughter of God. You might have had a horrible mother or a horrible father growing up, but you know what? You've been actually adopted. Your citizenship is now in heaven, and you have a wonderful, the best heavenly father you could possibly have. What else? You're given grace. What else? Oh, you're loved by God. How much? In a way you can't even comprehend it. So what this means is this. I'm not going to do something for you. I'm not going to yield to you because of what you've done. I'm going to yield to you because Jesus Christ has done everything for me. You see the difference? It's not if you will, then I will. No, no, no. It's me saying, okay, because of God, what you've done, Lord, I revere you. It's like God is saying to us, I want you to put him first. I want you to put her first, not because they put you first, but God says, but because I put you first. If you take out the garbage, then I'll make the bed. Nope. If you care about my hopes and dreams, if you just give them the time of day, then, I, then I'll get excited about yours. Nope. That's not how it is. No, no, no. I care about those things. Why? Not because of anything she did, not because of anything he did, but because I revere my God. It's not about them. It's about him. It's about who you are in him. Relationships that first and foremost are built on reverence for Christ, if that's the motivator, everyone welcome to flourishing. If you're here and you're not a Christian and you want to know what is ground zero for a Christian marriage, it's this right here. It's two people saying, I revere Christ. I revere Christ. This is important. If you're here today and you're single and maybe you hope to be married, I really believe the most important litmus test question that you can ask yourself is this. Does this person revere Christ? Do they revere him? 
And if when you ask that question, if you have to talk yourself into the answer, or if you hesitate, because I love you as one of your pastors, I would just say this to you. Please tap the brakes on that relationship. Just tap the brakes and go, okay, whoa, 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 red flag here. We got we to gotta hear this. And here's why this is so important. Because this day is easy on wedding day. But from this day forward, that is a challenge. And you don't want to be in a relationship that, that is an if-then relationship. Well, if you will, then I will. You don't want that. You want to marry someone that says this, regardless of how good or bad or whatever I think about you today, because I revere Christ. I will serve you. I will love you. I will stay committed to you. You know, some of you, and I commend you for this, you have made hard, but I think very wise decisions in this area. And you've actually walked away from some relationships, and you long to be married, and so that's a hard, courageous decision. But you knew in your mind, okay, if this is a marriage-bound relationship, this has to be in place. And then I think for the person that you're here today, and you'd say, well, yeah, but I'm married. And my spouse does not revere Christ. What do I do? And I would say this to you, and this does have an impact. We see it time and time again. You humbly revere Christ every single day. And you watch that, Lord willing, transform your spouse. Let's keep going in the text, and we're going to pick up the pace. Think big picture now. The Apostle Paul is going to talk to two groups, okay? He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's both of you. Mutual, voluntary. Now he's going to say, okay, wives, I want to talk to you for a little bit. And then he's going to say, husbands, now it's going to, then it's going to be your turn. Number, number one, here we go, wives. Verse 22, wives, submit. So it's yield, right? It's you before me. Submit yourselves. Now notice again, especially guys, notice this. This is not forced. That You can't throw Bible verses at your wife. No Bible darts. <laughs> submit. No, 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 no. You don't do that. You can't do that, right? It says, submit, here it is, yourselves, it's her choice, right, to your own husband, because they deserve it, because they're so great, because they can be trusted with that. No. It says, submit, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband, it says, is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body for which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Whoa, that sounds pretty wild, doesn't it? Hey, let's say whoa again. Yeah, the ladies were louder in that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. Let's expose, first of all, this is important, everybody. Let's expose, first of all, what this text is not saying, and then we'll talk about what it is saying. Is this saying that men are of more worth in the sight of our Heavenly Father? Is that what it's saying? Absolutely not. Does this mean then that men are actually smarter and more capable? I don't even think I need to answer that one, right? Absolutely not. Most of the men I know have married up. They have, including myself, they have far punted, you know, beyond the coverage. You know what I'm talking about? Nod your head. It would be wise. Okay. Does this mean that a woman should yield to the leadership of her husband if he's leading her into sin or if he's abusive to her in any way, shape, or form? Absolutely not. You need to reach out to your church and to the authorities, and you need to get help if that's the case in your marriage. So what, is, what are these verses saying? God is saying to wives, 
Go back to verse 21. Out of reverence for me, out of reverence for Christ, this isn't about your husband. Out of reverence for me, I want you to love him the way that I love you. I want you to help him. I want you to support him. I want you to help him thrive in the role that he didn't ask for, but that I call him to, to lead, to lead in your home. I want you to help him be responsible for the things that I'm entrusting to him. Do you do that because he's flawless in the way he's done it in the past? No. Do you do that because he's so blasted competent in every area? No. You do that out of reverence for Christ. To wives, I believe God says this isn't about him. This is about you and me. And wives, I believe that's why you can trust him. Have you ever noticed this, wives, that oftentimes people rise to the level that is seen in them or that is called out of them? When Christina speaks words of encouragement into my life, it's like drinking jet fuel. It's like game on. Here we go. Wives, be generous with your words. Be generous. Support. Encourage your husband. They're powerful. Okay, verse 25. Guys, it's our turn. Let me warn you. The Apostle Paul has twice to say, twice as much to say to the men. So buckle up. Here we go. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as. Now those two words, I believe they lead to the highest calling that a Christian can have. The highest calling for a Christian husband. It says, husbands, I want you to love your wives just as. Not sort of like, not like similar to. No, no, no. Husbands, you love your wife just as Christ loved the church, which, by the way, was the greatest demonstration of sacrificial love that we could possibly ever get our minds around. I want you to love your wife just like that, just as Christ loved the church, and he says, gave himself up for her. Guys, I want you, God is saying, to love your wife like I love the church. This isn't about how sweet she is. This isn't about how beautiful she is. This isn't about how much she meets your needs. No, no, no. This is about how much I loved you. And and let me remind you, how much did it cost our Savior to love us? It cost him everything. It's why we go, whoa. It's why we revere Christ. And the Apostle Paul in God's word says, husbands, I want you to love your wife like that. I want you to give yourself. I want you to lay down your life for her, just like I did for the church. Now, let me, let's imagine this. Imagine I approach every guy in this room today, every married man, and I just say this. I say, hey, kind of have a brave heart moment together. I say, hey, are you willing to lay down your life for your wife? And say it with a little, uh, right? My guess is most of the men in this room would say, yes. But what if I saw you at the end of today, and I said, hey, were you willing to do the dishes? Hey, were you willing to prioritize your wife's needs with your time? Hey, did you pray for your wife today? Hey, are you attuned to what's in her heart that she longs to do with her life? Are you attuned to that? What would be our answer? Husbands, how are we doing in this? Because daily dying comes in the form of serving. Jesus Christ, the greatest leader that ever walked the planet, what did he do? Why was he so different? 
It's because he didn't walk around with his chest out all proud and big and saying, you know what, serve me. No, he flipped it. He said, you know what, I'm going to lead by coming under you. I'm going to submit to you. You're a sinner. I'm not going to go away from that. I'm going to jump right into it. I'm yielding with my entire life for you as the Savior, as your creator. Husbands, how are we doing? Are we quick to serve? Verse 26, he says, do this to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. That's just powerful language, isn't it? So detailed, takes such care. I mean, see this. So you present her how without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless, saying, hey, don't wound her with your words. No, be, be blameless. God help us. Without stain or wrinkle. Be, uh, it's almost like be meticulous with her. Uh, why? Not, not being critical. Sorry, don't misunderstand me. Some of you are like, oh, no, no, don't do that. No, it's, it's like you meticulously figure out, okay, how can I help her flourish? How can I do that? And why do we do that? Again, it's not because of what she does. It's because, men, you revere Christ. It's not about her. It's about your relationship with your heavenly father. You revere Christ. Verse 28. It's like Paul is saying, hey, just in case, men, you didn't, you didn't hear me. Verse 28. In the same way, he says, again, not sort of like, not similar to, nope. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. And then he says, he who loves his wife loves himself. Husbands, we need to be quick to ask this question. What does my wife need to flourish? What does she need? I mean, how can I come alongside her? How can I help her? How can I support her? Does she need time? What does she need? What would allow my wife one year from now to look back and say, I flourished in that year, and boy, oh boy, did you help me. And you did it out of your reverence, not for me. You did it out of your reverence for Christ, but boy, I sure did feel like you honored me. Husbands, think of it this way. When you and I consider all that we have in Christ, and I mean, if you read chapters 1 through 3 in the book of Ephesians, husbands, and you walk away from it and you go, Wow, I'm really blessed. But God, how can I show my gratitude to you? It's as though, as clear as day, the Lord says this. If you want to show your gratitude for who you are in me, if you want to revere me, I'm wanting you to love your wife in the same way that I chose to love you. Verse 29, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but they fed it and they take care of their body, just as Christ does the church. Again, he's, he, you, you provide for her husbands. You look for ways to do that, for we are members, it says, of his body. And then verse 31, it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also, or, yeah, must, also must love your wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Notice what Paul does at the very end of this text. It's as though he zooms out. And what he's saying now is, hey, I want you just to be a reminder. I've talked to both of you, and then I talked to the wives, then I talked to the husbands. Now I'm talking to both of you again, and I just want you to know that your marriage isn't just existing for your, your own sake. He's saying, I want you to know that your marriage is a picture of how much I loved the church. 
So when the unbelieving world looks at you, this is such a challenge, when the unbelieving world looks at you and I, and they see our marriage, and they see how husbands love their wives and how wives love their husbands, that the world would go, oh, that must just be a taste of how good God's love is. I mean, think about that. What a high calling. John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so also you must love one another. By this, everyone will know. Like when you do this in your marriage, everyone will know that you're my followers, you're my disciples, if you love one another. Your sacrificial love to your husband or to your wife will be a pointer for others to go, oh, I'm starting to get a picture. That's who God is. That's how he loved the church. Okay, this whole gospel thing is making sense. Because I'm looking at this marriage and how they treat each other. And I'll just be really honest with you. When I get to the end of this text, the phrase that comes to my mind is simply this. God, help us. God, we need your grace, don't we, church? You know, I was, um, I'm going to pray for us here in just a minute. But I, I just want to say this to you because, again, some of you, you come into this morning and you're facing crisis. And um, I've sat across the table from some of you and I've begged you to stay in the game. i begged you. Stay in the game. Come on, stay in the game. And, and this morning, you might be here today, or maybe you're single and you just long to be married, or, or maybe you've got some other issue in your life. Um, we're going to have people that will pray for you this morning. And so when we finish the service, they'll be on both sides, and I encourage you, go be with them. Just have somebody pray for you. It's powerful. The scriptures say when someone prays for you, it's actually powerful and effective. So be prayed for this morning, no matter what you're facing. What I want to do right now is I, I want to pray for you. And if you're watching online, I just want to say this to you. You can submit a prayer request to us. We're going to pray for you actually this morning as well. And so do that. Lower right hand tab, just click it, submit your request. I also say this to the guys in Mod 7. When we close here, there's, the guys that are down there are going to pray for you because you have needs. Some of you are married. You have needs. We want to pray for you. We want to surround you in that. But right now, let's do this together. Would you bow your head with me and I just want to pray, and, and let's ask God, Lord, would you meet us in this place? This is a high-challenge text. God, would you, would you help us? So, so would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, first and foremost, we want to say thank you. Lord, you didn't, you didn't just let us create marriage, but you created it. And God, for some people in this room, you've put a longing in their heart to be married. And, and Father, if that's of you, God, I just would ask, Lord, would you provide for them? God, would you provide them a person that reveres Christ soon? And God, if they're with someone right now that they shouldn't be, God, would you give them the courage to sit, tap the brakes today? Please, God. Lord, I pray for the person in here today that was maybe married for a long time and, and their spouse has passed. And, and God, that's just a struggle for them. God, I pray you'd meet them in this place. Lord, might they sense your goodness and your grace. God, I, I pray for the couple that's here today and... The, they are in crisis, and they're, they're wondering, should we keep going? Would this be better for everyone if we just stopped? And God, I pray that you would remind them this morning that their commitment to Christ can carry them through. I pray that you would remind them in this moment that reverence for Christ trumps behavior of spouse. And so, God, give them the courage. Lord, I pray for the husband that's here today and he has a hard heart or the wife that has a hard heart. I pray even now, and maybe you just do this. Maybe you just grab the hand of your spouse and you just say this just as one of those simple, maybe defining moment times, you just grab her hand or his hand and you just kind of, what you're saying to them is, 
I'm taking a step towards this. I'm taking a step out of my reverence for, for Christ towards us being in a place of flourishing. I believe we can. God, would you meet us in this place? God, we need you. God, we thank you for the bond of marriage created by you. But God, we also know that what happens in the context of the marriages in our church is so significant to the gospel. And so God, we pray that you would give us grace today. Lord, we love you and we commit these things to you. In Jesus' name.